Thank you for joining the I Am Possible, which is India's first Future Tech Meets Sustainability podcast. Today, I'm delighted and honored to have with me Dr. Catalina Lopez-Coria, who is the Chief Scientific Officer at Genome Canada. Earlier, she was the Executive Director of the Canadian COVID-19 Genomics Network, CSO and Vice President Sectors at Genome British Columbia, CSO and Vice President Scientific Affairs at Genome Quebec, Senior Research Leader with pharmaceutical giant Ellie Lilly in the US, the renowned Decode Genetics Lab in Iceland, and two biotech companies in the UK, Genomica and Infomax. Diane is trained in innovation leadership at the Singularity University. Before joining Genome Canada, Dr. Lopez Coria was Chief Operating Officer at Ruta and Medellin. In this capacity, she coordinated the operations of a world-class innovation hub that uses cutting-edge technologies and approaches to solve the city's most pressing social and economic challenges. Prior to joining Ruta and in 2017, Dr. Lupus Coria received the Canadian Senate 150th Anniversary Medal. In 2013, she was recognized by National Order of Merit Award in the rank of officer appointed by the Honorable President of the Republic of Colombia. In 2012, she was recognized as one of the top 100 Colombians living abroad. So, Doctor, it's a complete pleasure and honor to have you on the podcast. Sincerely appreciate you taking time and being part of a humble effort to raise awareness on exponential technologies. So, would you like to start with you know describing your role at Genome Canada and the works that you've been involved in? Wonderful. Well, yeah. And first, Eddie, thank you so much for inviting me to participate in this podcast. I, um, I am a great believer that uh, genomics is a technology that is transforming the world and is a technology that has a huge potential, not only in Canada, where I work presently, but um, also a huge potential in emerging economies and um, countries that are starting to develop these technologies as um, countries in Latin America and as India, um, where, again, genomics has a great potential. So. My role um, as Chief Scientific, Scientific Officer at Genome Canada really um, is all about helping and supporting and advancing the implementation of genomic technologies across different economic sectors. So uh, about 60% of our portfolio at Genome Canada is on human health, but we do have projects also in the area of agriculture of course, using, always using genomics. We have also projects in areas of um, you know, forestry, natural resources, mining, climate change, um, fisheries and aquaculture. But again, the largest part of the portfolio um, is on genomics and health, and basically using genomics on the entire healthcare continuum. We at Genome Canada have projects that are focusing on using genomics for prevention of diseases, also using genomics for diagnosis, genomics also to guide the treatment of the disease, and genomics to guide uh, the prognosis of the disease. So the entire healthcare continuum. And we work um, and we are supporting scientists across all Canada, in the different universities in Canada, and working also with the receptors of, or users of genomics. In the case of health, we work then with the Ministry of Health, with um, healthcare providers across Canada that are the ones that are really using this technology to diagnose and treat their patients. 
So you mentioned that genomics as a technology is something which can completely transform the world. You know, not, and you also mentioned that it can uh, transform the emerging economies, you know, the India and other nations, you know, who really need, you know, obviously your healthcare currently requires, you know, the complete upend because, you know, the, the, the technology is accelerating, but we're still holding on to the old uh, ways of how we do healthcare or education. And you mentioned that genomics has got this huge potential of completely transforming the, the world. Would you like to elaborate on, on that? How uh, and which are the areas in the healthcare specific where genomics is going to uh, create the largest impact? Yeah, so I can I can give you um, a few examples uh, in rare diseases, in cancer, but I would like to start, I think, with the most relevant example right now, which is COVID-19. We have been all through these two years of a critical situation in the planet with COVID-19, with this pandemic. And what we have seen, not just in Canada, in Europe, in the US, but across the world, in India, in Latin America, in Africa, is that we are now using genomics to sequence, of course, this virus, the SARS-CoV-2 virus, to understand the different variants. What are those variants of concern? How are those variants transmitted? And we all know that this virus sees no borders. For the virus, there's no, you know, here is India and here is the US and here is Canada and this is the border and I shouldn't cross here, I need a visa. There is no concept of border for the virus. And for us, that's the way we should handle genomics also in a global scale, in a global, um, really global scale where we could really use this technology to get information about the transmission and distribution of this virus at a global level. And this is exactly what we did. There is more than now 7 million genomes, viral genomes that have been sequenced. India has been actively sequencing, Canada has been actively sequencing. And actually we say, at least in Canada, and we'll say, I will think that is globally, that we are saying with uh, that with COVID-19, genomics is really getting out of the lab is not anymore a technology just for the scientists working in the lab with their experiments, but it's a technology that everybody around the world needs and understands. And I think big part of that was again, because of COVID, because now we know that the difference between Delta and Omicron, these variants and all these things that we're talking about, the new variant, the new variant of concern, the new Omicron, all these, are the only way to see those variants is with genomics, is really sequencing and seeing all the DNA, all the letters, all the code of the, all the genetic code of the virus. So I think COVID-19 has been a very powerful example of the use and application of genomics across the world. Now there is also areas like rare diseases and rare diseases are, we call them rare diseases, and those are mostly um, severe syndromes in children that are uh, individually rare. So each of those diseases is rare, but collectively they are very common. So they become really a common challenge for the healthcare system, and of course for the families and for the patients. Now, in many 
cases, those diseases take very, very long time to diagnose when we use the conventional approach for diagnosis. Now, there's many now studies that shows that by using genomics and using in particular whole genome sequence, which is reading the entire um, DNA of a human being, we can find those mutations and we can really make a much more accurate diagnosis. And in many cases, open paths for treatment of those patients with rare diseases. The other area that um, where genomics is really having a great impact at a global scale is in oncology, in cancer research and in, ca in treating pa cancer patients. We have seen now great advancements in how um, you know, we get to a much more precise and personalized treatment using genomics. So basically giving the right drug to the right patient at the right dose at the right time based on our genes and based on our genome. And I will say with cancer, what is important is that we are no longer thinking about, oh, this is breast cancer or this is colon cancer. It's not important really where the cancer is located. What is important is the molecular signature of that cancer. We might treat exactly the same way a colon cancer in one patient and a breast cancer in another one, if they have the same molecular signature. So again, it's a technology that is, is also getting much cheaper and much um, easier to access. And that means a higher impact. And I will end this part also making a parallel with the uh, informatics revolution. If we remember in the 60s and the 70s, I remember my father had a computer that was almost the size of a room had to be refrigerated, was noisy, was heavy, was complicated, and had less memory than a cell phone that we have today. And same thing was happening with genomics. You know, we are increasing the speed, increasing the throughput, increasing the quality, decreasing the cost, and decreasing the size. Same parallel as we are seeing with, with informatics. Right, yes, the, the growth in exponential technologies and it touching all uh, different sectors is, is going to be so awesome for every business sectors and even consumers. You mentioned that, you know, with the, throughout the world because of our genome sequence ca sequencing capabilities, we have, uh, a, you know, sequenced these viruses and th there's lots that we have learned from these viruses. What's what's the learnings that from from sequencing these uh, viruses, and, and do you think that globally we are now one step ahead and possibly prepared for maybe another pandemic by the learnings from these uh, viruses? That that's a very good question, and I think we are much better prepared. We know now that we can use genomics to help us trace and understand the distribution of this virus and these pathogens, like the SARS-CoV-2 virus for COVID-19. We use that to see, okay, there is Omicron appearing in this part of the world and now suddenly it's being distributed and it's appearing in these other regions of the world. We can make public health and policy decisions based on the understanding of where the virus is. So it's really helping us at many, at many, many uh, levels. And um, it's also um, really helping us because 
as I say, the technology is, is much cheaper and easier to use. So we can do it not just in Canada, but across the world. In Africa, there were different countries that were making efforts to train people to get the data. Now, the big challenge, because there's still, of course, the world is not perfect, and it's not that we have solved all the challenges. Uh, the biggest challenge um, I see we have now is not the data generation. We are able to sequence, we are able to produce. And well, you know, there's still challenges in terms of the access to equipment, access to regions in some regions of the world that have limited resources. That remains, remains a challenge. But I think the biggest challenge now is what do we do and how we manage the data? And that was a challenge for Canada. That was a challenge for the US. That was a challenge for India. That was a challenge for the entire world because we are used again to keep the data in our countries. And as I say, the virus sees no borders. The virus goes everywhere. And yet the data stays in my lab, in my country, in my province, in my region. And I don't share it because I'm afraid that maybe you will find something secret. Mm, and, and actually the reality, the value of the data is when we share it at a global level, when we are able to use that data for the global good, for really global health. So I think the challenge of data sharing is a very important one. Right. I, I hope that uh, organizations, nations uh, understand that the world where we're going into is going to be a much open and, and decentralized uh, world because at least the millennials, the Gen Zs, they understand that siloed approaches have uh, only created close borders and if we are talking about a world where we can be collaborative and leverage each other's benefits uh, because that that was plain to see i mean the, the only reason we got to a a vaccine in under a couple of months covid-19 was because of you know the, the global collaboration so i hope there is more data sharing uh, you you mentioned about uh, uh, genome sequencing, you know, be becoming cheaper. You know, 2000, the genome, genome project was a billion dollar and now it's come down to maybe like a thousand dollar and hopefully it'll come down much more. And it, it's you guys are looking at uh, not just preventive, but diagnosis and even even treatment of rare, rare disease. Uh, Tell me, how, how do you see that genome sequencing becoming a compulsory for healthcare? Uh, and if it does become compulsory, how would it transform healthcare? Yes, well, I do see that um, whole genome sequencing, so getting our genome will be, you know, almost as um, we do MRI and we do X-rays, you know, maybe X-rays, X-rays were, were um, expensive and difficult to get and uh, MRIs were expensive and difficult to get years ago. Now, you know, MRI is not, is not super cheap, but it's not such a big deal. Same for X-rays. So these are part of the advancements and that we are seeing in genomics that they are becoming more ubiquitous. And there's this technology that is coming much more, you know, ex the, the use is, is really, um, has expanded to many different areas. In Canada, and I think in, in many countries, we're also seeing the evolution of the healthcare providers that are now starting to reimburse the um, whole genome sequencing. I, I am originally from Colombia, and I support um, 
the healthcare system there in some of their, you know, I advise and, and provide uh, some uh, support to the healthcare system in terms of genomics. And I see that they are moving more and more towards uh, the reimbursement and towards really asking for the whole genome instead of maybe asking for one genetic test here, one genetic test here, and trying to figure out the diagnosis at the end of the day is more cost-effective and much more, you know, the efficacy of a whole genome sequence is much higher in terms of getting to the right diagnosis and potentially getting to the right treatment at the right time than just waiting and trying to do all kinds of other tests that are also very expensive. We have done some economic studies here in Canada where you know, a patient that has a rare disease that has to wait until they are maybe eight, 10 years old and go from doctor to doctor, specialist to specialist, a biopsy and a test, another test, they end up spending in the healthcare system about you know, 50, 60, 100,000, 200,000, $300,000, as opposed to, as you say, you know, $1,000 for a whole genome sequence where you get your diagnosis right away and you will be able to guide potentially um, opportunities for treatment or at least give the family the right diagnosis and make sure they know what and how to care about that patient. So I, I do think that uh, genomics is, will, is already becoming standard of care uh, for many conditions. And I think will become, um, in the future, just um, really a, a technology that will be part of all our lives, like informatics. I, I, I do think there's already many countries that are thinking about newborn sequencing. So you're born, you get your genome, and that's it. You know, you, you like you get your family history. You know your fa I mean, typically you you know your family uh, had the in this side of the family these diseases and this other. Well, same with your genome. You will know your genome. You have your genome in a card. You will be able to know what medications are good for you and you can metabolize. What are the predispositions you have for certain diseases? If you have to do um, colonoscopy early because you have a susceptibility for colon cancer, or if you have to do frequent mammographies because you have a susceptibility for breast cancer, everything will be there and you will be able to care uh, and really be much more involved and proactive in, in your own healthcare. Right. I think newborn genome sequencing will really make the healthcare uh, industry maybe 10 steps forward, you know, and I'm really looking forward for possibly like a, a, a genome sequencing being must for healthcare because the benefits will be humongous. Uh, would you like to explain what precision medicine is and how it's going to transform healthcare? Yes. And, you know, it's interesting, Eddie, because there are many names that have been used for you know, some people call it personalized medicine, some all other people call it precision medicine. But at the end of the day, we're all talking about the same thing. And that is basically using genomics and omic related technologies, proteomics, metabolomics, transcriptomics, all the omic technologies to um, really get to a very precise diagnosis of your disease or your condition. Or uh, if we're talking about pre prevention, as I was saying, you know, help you get your personal profile, like your deep personal profile with all the omic technologies. And with that, understand what are, what are the risks for you to have certain diseases? How can we treat 
if you have one disease, how can we diagnose in a more precise way? How can we um, then treat in a more precise way? So is, is really the, the use of omic technologies to, uh, get, to get a much more well, molecular, detailed and precise diagnosis and treatment of diseases and more and more uh, also in precision health, we're talking about health instead of talking about disease. We want to be able to um, avoid people getting into a hospital because we want to keep people healthy. I want to know ahead of time if I'm going to be um, developing a breast cancer so that I can prevent it. I can do the mammography. I can detect it earlier before is any, you know, big growth or big metastasis or big, you know, bigger uh, health challenges. So it's all that concept of focusing on prevention, focusing on understanding the risk and using your DNA to better understand how to diagnose and treat the diseases if you have. So genome sequencing is going to completely upend the way we do healthcare. Then there is genetic editing. We are now able to snip, edit, add a certain genome, you know, and that can really completely upend the healthcare. You know, though you were saying that, I mean, these, this uh, it, it's becoming more affordable and accessible. But recently, I think there was a genetic therapy done for a sickle cell uh, uh, treatment in, in America. And that that uh, the cost of that was $1.85 million for a patient. When do you think, you know, gene therapy is going to be affordable and accessible? And what would it take to make uh, genetic editing or gene therapy accessible for all? Yes. So, um, as I mentioned, um, our first step with genomics has been to read the DNA. So if you think about if we're an uh, editor, well, you know, we read, that's the first step. We read the book of life. We make that process in that technology, which is sequencing, called sequencing, reading the DNA. We make it cheaper, faster, more effective, higher throughput, all that, and that's happening. Second step is we edit, as you mentioned, you know, we go into gene editing. We just not only read, but we can make the changes in certain letters and modify the DNA. And that's uh, the second step of the big genomic revolution. The third one is when you are able to write that DNA and that's then synthetic biology. When you can really almost make a synthetic molecule of DNA or synthetic cell. Now for uh, your question on gene editing and gene therapy, there, there are lots of evolutions and lots of applications of gene editing that are moving ahead. And one big push for those applications has also been um, COVID-19. You know, we saw the development of mRNA vaccines. Some of them could be tweaked and modified and edited in a way that could be adapted for new variants, adapted for changes in the SARS-CoV-2 virus. So we're seeing more and more advances in, in how um, we can use these technologies. There's also lots of applications, not just in human health, but in agriculture uh, for gene editing, which are huge potential for economic impact. In human health, there is still a lot also in terms of um, our 
ethical concerns when we are talking about modifying embryos, modifying babies, modifying somatic cells. We're thinking more about specific therapies that target uh, certain cells or certain regions of the body that are more, that are not really modifying our entire uh, organism. And so there is a lot of regulation. There is a lot of um, ethical, again, and legal concerns about uh, the gene editing, but it's more and more used also in laboratory practices just to help understand some of the variants, create some of these variants in the lab. Um, now, in terms of the cost uh, challenges that you uh, mentioned on gene therapy, I think we are also improving there where we, we, we're seeing now in, in cases like I can talk about cystic fibrosis, which uh, there is now medication that is specific for patients that have one particular mutation. And that medication will cost maybe $1,000 a day for patients, which is impossible to afford. And, but the efficacy is almost 100%. So I think those are the ethical dilemmas and the very difficult uh, decisions that healthcare providers are facing right now because they say, well, I have the potential to give this, it's just one patient, is one treatment, but it's high, you know, very high efficacy. And really the cost is almost prohibited. I know, for instance, in Colombia, lots of these technologies will not be able, I mean, I would say 99.9% of the patients will not be able to access those new technologies. But I think our goal is, I would say the key goal now for genomics and not just for gene therapy and gene editing, but also in general for sequencing. I think the biggest goal now is the goal of equity and access is that, yeah, we have the genomic revolution is here now. And how can we ensure that the entire planet and that emerging economies and patients in isolated regions and patients with very limited resources can access these technologies. A little bit like, again, what happened with informatics. At one point it was only certain groups that had access to computers. But now with cell phones, we had lots of functionalities that are easy to, to get everywhere. So we need to get to the cell phone stage with genomics so that this is a technology that touches everyone, every life around the world. Right, yes. I mean, that would be so, so awesome when it starts getting equitable and accessible for all. And I guess that's 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 such a huge conversation where everybody, all the stakeholders need to come together and see how that problem can, can be solved. Uh, uh, talking about the applications, because you mentioned it's not just healthcare, it's agriculture. Would you like to like elaborate a little bit more about that? Because just recently, uh, I, I read that Worf Therapeutics is working on genetic editing to prevent uh, heart attacks. They are, they go, they're going to be altering human genomes to prevent the buildup of bad cholesterol. And this, they say, might be a permanent solution to heart disease. So what are the other applications? And maybe you could touch on healthcare and then maybe also agriculture and uh, climate change. Absolutely, absolutely. So um, what is interesting is that many of the um, companies working on maybe new therapies or new approaches are using in some cases their learnings from rare diseases and applying these to common diseases. In the case of 
the example you're giving, there are some companies that are using um, what happens in, in families that have a very high cholesterol, where they produce lots of, even if you have a you know, very restricted diet and exercise, and you're kind of the most healthy person uh, in terms of lifestyle, you still have these plaques of um, you know, the atherosclerotic plaques and the high cholesterol and all that that is building. And lots of that is genetic. So you can, in those individual groups and, and families, so you can use that learning on what genes are involved and how maybe you can block that genes and modify those genes to make people more resistant to develop that plaque. So it's a learning that you that you really can get in some cases uh, from coming from rare diseases. So again, lots of applications in, in, in medicine, not just for making the right diagnosis, but guiding us also into potential treatments, innovative treatments and innovative ways of preventing. Because at the end of the day, what we want is to prevent. We don't want to treat your heart attack. We want to prevent the plaque to form in your arteries so that you don't ever have a heart attack. That would be the goal, that you remain a healthy person. So again, more and more we're focusing on those preventions and decrease of risk of disease risk. Now, other areas like agriculture, well, we have um, many ways of using genomics in the agri-food sector, and in particular around climate change. Um, I would say for climate change, that is one of the biggest challenges, I would say, after the pandemic, and they're all related. But the biggest challenge we have in the world now is climate change. And we can use genomics to help us understand what's happening with climate change and think about how we can use then the DNA, the code of life to map biodiversity. We're already using genomics to map biodiversity across the world. Where are those species that are extinct? Where are those species that have moved from one place to another one? Species that we didn't see in the North, suddenly we're now seeing in the North. Species that we didn't see in the South. So the biodiversity of our planet and distribution of the species, so understanding the impact of climate change with genomics is a very important part. Second part is adapting. And agriculture is big on that. We have projects here that are using genomics to select trees or select crops that will grow in certain conditions. Conditions with low water or conditions with lots of water, uh, conditions with um, lots of heat or maybe uh, milder weather. So depending on the weather, you can select really what crops will grow in which regions. And I would say the third one, um, which is the most powerful one, is mitigation. So, you know, we can understand the climate change with genomics. We can adapt our crops, our forests, our trees, our plants, and our ecosystems to the climate change. But it's the best of all is to be able to mitigate climate change. And just to give you an example, we have uh, with Genome Canada, we have projects where we are using certain enzymes to give in the, um, for feeding livestock. So you just add these enzymes to the normal feed of the livestock and you are reducing by 60, 70% their methane emissions. And as you know, you know the, so that makes the, feed much more efficient, again, less waste and less carbon emissions and less methane emissions. 
And as we know, cows and livestock and lots of the animals are big producers of methane emissions. And we, with uh, that very high um, energetic, you know, feeding and, and, and food for, for those uh, animals, we can then address some of these challenges around climate change. How cool is this? You know, the tool that we're having is technology. You know, it's it's creating so many impact and transformation. And, and these are just the, uh, in such a very nascent stage, we understanding that how it's going to upend uh, human lives and society. So I'm excited uh, on how technology is going to augment human life. And I, I would like to get into the, co- the conversation of the moral and ethical implication. But before I get, get into that, I, I would like to address, I mean, this, uh, you know, to the listeners that technology is n- never good or bad. It's the ones who leverage it, you know, and how you leverage it, it, it becomes, you know, whether it's, it's, it's good or bad. So keeping that in mind, you know, when we are talking about genomics, you know, there are obviously there are scientists who, you know, jumped a little ahead, you know, specifically in China and there was designer babies. Then, you know, the, we, we, with uh, genetic editing, you said that we have the tool to tinker around with the code of life. That itself, the conversation is is so deep that, I mean, if you get into what those ACTGs are, is it just code? It's going to take possibly a day. But talking about the moral and ethical implication, what what are the danger areas of, uh, you know, the genetic editing? Is it bio-warfare? Is it designer baby? Is it just the tool that today we understand the source code of life and someday we could re-engineer or redesign a new form of life itself, possibly superhuman mutants. Is that something that concerns you or are you just excited that this could be the evolution of mankind? Yes, well, uh, that, that, this, is a, this is a really uh, interesting question and very re- relevant because as you say, there's no good or bad technology. It's how we use that technology. And we get back to the analogy with computers, same way you can have a really good use of computers. You can have a very good use of informatics and all the IT technologies, but you can also be a hacker and you can do you know, lots of damage to the planet using exactly the same technology that you can use for good or you can use for bad. In genomics, um, there are now lots of regulations on how genomics can be used, when they can be used in particular for gene editing. As I say, there's lots of uh, ethical commissions and lots of, uh, again, gates and regulations. Um, For us at Genome Canada, one of our highlights is that for every large scale project that we're funding, there has to be, um, as we call genes and society or genomics and society component. So always thinking and what will be the social impact of that project? What is the uh, ethical aspects that we are touching with this project? What are the legal, social, economical aspects of this project? It's not just the science because of the science and because science is cool, let's do all kinds of science. It's responsible science. It's science that is really helping us get to be a better society, a better planet, and that is supporting to have uh, you know, a better healthcare system, 
not just um, thinking about the perfect babies, the modified babies, but you know, babies that will, as I say, with rare diseases that have the risk to have a very severe debilitating disease. How can we use genomics to help those cases more than just creating the perfect baby or creating the perfect life that, by the way, doesn't really, you know, is, is, is more of a science fiction than, than, a, than a reality. You were the chief operating officer at Ruta and Medellin and where you used uh, cutting edge technologies to and approaches to solve cities, social and economical challenges. challenges. Now, you know, emerging economies like Colombia, India, are just discovering, you know, how these tools or how technologies can benefit, you know, the, the nation uh, uh, and cities. So would you, would you have advice for, you know, like India and how do you think we can leverage technologies to create a better societal and economical benefit? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, so, so I, I came back to Colombia to work as a chief operating officer for Ruta N in Medellin, my hometown which is um, about uh, 4 million people for the just downtown or, or the center of the city and about 7 million would, would take into account the, the surrounding um, you know, towns and all these. So yeah, in a country that is 52 uh, million uh, habitants where genomics in technologies in general are starting to play a key role in the economic development of the country. So, what, what I think one of the key learnings from me uh, in terms of the role of uh, technology in emerging economies and countries like Colombia, like India and others, is that, you know, there, there is room for, there's an important role for genomics and an important role for technology in general, but there is no need to really reinvent everything. I, uh, we actually, I uh, actually, uh, we published uh, with a group of colleagues an article that was um, called, well, where we had a, an analogy there saying that um, in developing countries, um, we should be focusing on the second best winner, not just focusing on initially doing all this huge um, research and huge investments in, of course, investing in research is important, but it's more looking at how can we apply these in a very clever way. And I know, you know, in India, I know so many examples and also in Colombia of entrepreneurs that are creating companies or scientists that are bringing value or healthcare providers that are using these tools to really get to concrete solutions, not just the science because of the science, but I think, I think we have these sense that we can use this to solve challenges and not just, uh, I would say, healthcare challenges, but really global and societal challenges. And I think that's the dimension that emerging economies and countries like Colombia, India can bring to the table too. And is that concept of, again, equity, access, diversity, bringing those um, diverse voices um, in genomics in particular, we have a big challenge because about 80% of the international databases um, for genomics are only white Caucasian individuals, which is a huge challenge. Because that means that when we are starting those databases and we're thinking about new uh, diagnoses or new treatments, the new diagnoses and the new treatments we are thinking with those databases 
are for Caucasians, are not for the population in India, are not for the population in Colombia. We have different genes. We have different uh, variations. So I think it's important also to bring that concept in our countries to say, well, we need to have a voice too. We need to really show that whatever is developed in all the countries cannot immediately be applied without any you know, adaptation to our realities in our countries. And the, the last thing I want to say that uh, was critical for us and for me when I was um, working in Colombia is that more than concentrating in generating the data is what can we do with that data? Is all the crossroads also with uh, quantum computing with AI. And again, India has such a, such a driving force in data and data management, data use, data analytics. So I think using that uh, data is really the new oil. It's not, it's not our capacity to sequence genomes. We can sequence genomes, yeah. But really, what do we do with that data? How we manage that data? And I think that's where we come to the more than the capacity to buy a machine to sequence is your, the person that is able, the bioinformatician, the computational biologist that is able to analyze that data in a clever way and that is able to make those connections with the social needs, with the social challenges, with the realities we have in our countries and in our environments. Right, I mean, yeah, if, A, if we, I mean, there's such an urgent need to create, you know, possibly like a standard operating procedure for maybe a genome sequencing for everyone. You know, that way, possibly, you know, we'll have, like you mentioned, it's 80 percent of only white uh, Caucasians who, who, the, of the data that, that we have. I hope that, you know, this kind of changes, you know, we have like a more uh, wider, diverse uh, amount of data. And yes, uh, India, there is there are a lot of engineers over here and, and the, the role of AI machine learning is going to play a huge role in giving us more answers on what the data can do and how it can be actually leveraged for uh, you know healthcare so i'm excited for, for for the space thank you doctor it was really really a pleasure talking to you understanding your insights and what you're what you're building uh, if you had to paint a picture of what the next 10 years is going to look like with genomics with technology with innovations with collaboration what would you have to say? And possibly maybe you could also talk about your moonshot and Genome Canada's moonshot. Absolutely. Well, for me, you know, the next 10 years, we will see, again, genomics out of the lab and penetrating our life in everything we do, from the food we eat, the even, you know, the house, how we're built, the wood we have, the health, our healthcare, our capacity to prevent diseases we have, most of us, the access to these technologies in a way or in another one. So I think it's a technology that's gonna transform every single part of our lives and will have an impact in every single component of what we see the living organisms around us. So uh, for me, of course, I'm excited. This is my field. And I think this is gonna continue transforming the world. And for us um, at Genome Canada, we are just launching right now, actually um, on May 12th, we launched a very large uh, um, initiative on um, climate change and genomics, focusing on the agri-food system and agriculture and food production 
for a most, more sustainable future. We're focusing on the mitigation aspect, which I, as I mentioned, is, is a very challenging one, but we believe that genomics is going to play a key role in Canada in um, helping Canada. We're a big agriculture country and using this technology to advance in a much more sustainable and greener economy, it will be critical. And it, that's our moonshot. That's our next big best bet. Lovely, Doctor. Really appreciate you taking time being part of the podcast. And I hope that whatever you're working on, I mean, comes to fruition because, I mean, we hope that someday maybe those learnings can be leveraged to other nations and those other nations can benefit, you know, in their food production, agriculture, climate change, which is such a huge problem and also healthcare. So thank you once again for being part of, part of the podcast. And to my listeners, if you like what you see in here, then please press the subscribe button. And until next time, see you guys. Bye-bye. Thank you, Doctor. Really appreciate this. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, and maybe, I don't know if you can insert, because one last comment I would like to say is that as part of my moonshot is, I think, again, the equity and the access, that's going to be my personal moonshot. You know, the genomics is going to be everywhere, but my personal that I'm going to fight forever is to make sure everybody can access this technology.